Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I'd like to talk today about a verse from Romans chapter 6, verse 14, which says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So the first thing is it says, Sin shall not have dominion over you. Can we just be honest and agree together that there is such a thing in the Bible called sin? Now, why am I saying that? Because the world does not like us saying the word sin. The world wants us to use words like mistake. Um, I have a, a proclivity to something. I, I slip up. I, I mean, even whatever, whatever sin the Bible mentions, the world has a kind word for it that makes it sound like it's a bit of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> That's a silly little thing to do. But the Bible says that there is a thing called sin that leads to death. And I need to just be frank with you. Why does God speak against sin? Because it hurts us. Sin is simply me living differently to how I was created to live. You know, if I get a tennis racket, when I was a kid, for some reason, I had this weird habit of using things that were made for one purpose, using them for another purpose. So I, I got a tennis racket that was, in those days, they were wooden tennis rackets. They weren't made of graphite. They were wood, and, and it, you could see it was craft, crafted nicely and beautifully made out of wood and the strings cat gut strings were woven together and put on this and there was a lovely leather handle and it was a beautiful piece of equipment but I decided I want to use it first of all to hit fruit in the garden and so I would get pieces of fruit and I would just whack them with this and then I, I must admit I did some really bad things I started hitting frogs with my tennis racket and then I started hitting other things with my tennis racket Pretty soon, that tennis racket was useless. The strings had broken. The wood had warped out of shape. It could not be used for tennis any longer because I'd taken something that was created, crafted, crafted for a purpose, and I'd used it for another purpose. Sin is simply me using this amazing thing that God has given me called my body and my mind for something other than God created it to be used for. That is sin. So there's the word sin. There's the word dominion. We don't like to think that anything has dominion over us. Nothing's controlling me. I'm a free agent. I can give up any time I choose. I'm not being controlled by this thing. In fact, the world says you're free when you sin, but try to stop and you'll find out you're not free. Sin will not have dominion over you. Those are two important words. But then there's another two important words. Law and grace. You see, logic tells me if I've got this problem with sinning, the answer is I must just obey rules. But that's what law is. And he says it doesn't work. Look at the verse. It says, sin will not have dominion over you because you're not under law, but under grace. And those of us who've tried... Have you ever tried to keep a list of rules? There's a preacher um, that I like to watch on TV, and he talks about this time that he went out into the garden, and there were a whole lot of children playing, and he said, you guys can do whatever you like, but don't spit on this flower. 
for some reason. And he said they didn't even know the flower was there before, but as soon as he said it, they were all standing around the flower, gazing lovingly at it with saliva dripping out of their mouths because they wanted to spit on the flower. Have you ever tried to keep a list of rules? It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You can say, I will not. And you do. You can say, I will. And you can't. Anyone tried to keep a New Year's resolution? He says, sin will not have dominion over you. You won't be mastered by this creature called sin. And it is a creature. I'm going to show you that in a moment. But he says, but the answer is not law. It's this other amazing, intangible, beautiful thing that is called various things in these few chapters of Romans. Here he calls it grace. A little bit later, he calls it being married to Jesus. And then in the beginning of Romans 8, he says, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's this grace idea. So I want to just unpack it today. You say to me, Greg, why are you unpacking this? Because this is life and death stuff. Friends, we can talk about philosophy and psychology and ideas for success in life and, and all that. But if we haven't solved this problem of who is mastering me, is it sin, is it the law, or is it Jesus? If we haven't solved this problem, eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. It's not just a little nice self-help idea. Friends, there is eternity to come after we die. And the decisions we make about these three issues, four issues, law, sin, dominion, law, and grace, affect everything. If you get it right, everything is better. If you get it wrong, everything is messed up. So, I want to tell you this illustration that I came up with, and... You can love it or hate it. You can ignore it. I find it very helpful. The picture is of a man who has a little daughter whom he loves. I have a little daughter whom I love. And the daughter and the dad spend time together. They go for ice creams together. They walk on the beach hand in hand. She trusts him. She tells him her secrets. He loves her and tells her he loves her. He protects her. He looks after her. But a time comes when the hormones start going weird that she doesn't like daddy anymore. And she rejects him. And she turns away from him. And his heart is sore. But then he sees a problem. She's opening the door. She's looking out of the window of their house. And she's looking at boys. And they're horrible boys. They're these guys with weird haircuts and the funny tattoos. I'm not against tattoos or haircuts, by the way. But... I'm against what's inside the boy who gets that stuff sometimes. Not always. Anyway, you know what I mean. There were these boys. Piercings. Weird stuff. Language. Clothing. Motorbikes. Drugs. Bad things. Driving too fast late at night on dark roads with their lights off. Um, just fights and knives. And there was all this stuff. And he was desperately worried about his little girl. And she started dating some of these boys. 
I want to go out with Billy. I want to go and see Jojo. And he is worried for good reason. Why? Because sin leads to death. Sin leads to slavery and death. He knows, he fears within his heart, she will become addicted or she will become damaged. And he comes up with this plan, a cunning plan, to find a boy who is attractive to her, but who he can control. And he, this boy is going to win her heart, and he's going to keep her from dating all these other boys, and he's going to keep her from these terribly dangerous practices that could lead to death, but the boy is not going to sleep with her. He's not going to harm her. He's going to keep her safe until the right husband comes along when she's old enough, who the dad also knows is coming. He knows there's this amazing boy who's just the right one for her. Friends, the Bible says some amazing things about this. So, let me just read you a couple of verses. Romans 5, just a few verses before the verse that we're looking at right now. Romans 5. For until the law, sin was in the world. Remember, we're talking about four words. Sin, dominion, law, grace. Until the law, sin was in the world. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So sin and death reigned from Adam to Moses. What is that talking about? It's talking about there was this little girl called the human race who loved her daddy, God, and they had a lovely relationship of openness. She turned away from him when the serpent deceived her. And from then, Adam, until Moses, when this super boyfriend who the daddy can control came along, death and sin reigned on planet Earth. Did you know that? Did you know that there was a period, a long period? You know, we think of the Ten Commandments and the law as being the whole of the Old Testament, but it wasn't. It was a short period from Moses to Jesus was about 1,300 years. It was a short little interlude when the daughter was dating a boy that daddy could control. But before that, death reigned. Human beings dated bad people. So right at the start, we know about Adam and Eve, but did you know about Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel are good brothers, but sin is already in the human race. And so they give an offering to the Lord, but somehow Cain has been twisted. You know, sin is so deceitful. It twists us to do half-truths. And Cain gives an offering to God, but it's not a full-hearted offering. It's not a loving offering. It's not a first-fruits offering of the best. And he's kind of trying to trick God. I'm giving you this offering, but my heart is not really with you. And it says God accepted Abel's offering, which was the firstborn, the best of his offering, but he didn't accept Cain's. And in verse 7, verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? Fallen. Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? 
If you do not do well, listen to this, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin has a personality. I, I, I don't want to scare you, but I have to be honest with you. From the beginning of the Bible, all the way through, there is a personality behind sin, and his name is Satan, and he has workers called the demons, and there is a personality behind sin. And every time you are tempted or somebody lies to you and you go into sin, there is a personality behind it who desires to rule and have dominion over you. He wants to enslave you. The, the verses in Romans 6 after verse 14 talk about slavery and death. And here he says to Cain, sin is waiting at the door, crouching at the door. It wants to enslave you, but you must rule over it. There's a personality behind it. But then the law came. And I want to read you this beautiful passage from Galatians talking about the boyfriend that the daddy can control. Isn't that a good idea, do you think? Huh? Those of you who are parents, what do you think? It's got some merit to it, hasn't it? Verse 19 of Galatians 3. What purpose then does the law serve? Remember we're looking at four words, sin, dominion, law, grace. What purpose does the law serve? It was added, it was added. Daddy brought in a boyfriend. Because of transgressions, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. That's talking about the ideal husband who's going to love her, look after her, meet all her needs, and make sure she's healthy and happy and well looked after. Until he comes, the law was added verse 23 but before faith came we were kept under a god by the law kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed therefore the law was our tutor it uses the word tutor which is like a child minder like a person who looks after a child it's like the boyfriend that the daddy has employed but he hasn't told the girl that the dad's employed him he says the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Can you see that my illustration is actually scriptural? It says from Adam until Moses, sin and death reigned. Then God brought in the law. Why did God give the law? You know, we think the Ten Commandments are the best expression of God's character. They are not. They are a temporary plaster to put over a wound to just keep it safe until the cure can come, which is Jesus. The law is not the be-all and end-all. It's not the ideal. It's not the perfect. The law was given as a temporary childminder, good boyfriend. Right, Romans 7 verse 1. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. What's he saying there? Well, he's going to explain it in the next verse. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So he's using this language of boyfriends and husbands now to describe the law. And he says 
that when you're married to someone like the Lord, you have this boyfriend who's this perfect good boyfriend who's going to protect you and kind of shepherd you and look after you and keep you safe from the bad people out there. He says, the way that you get free from something like that is the, the husband has to die. The other one has to die. Verse 3, so then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law so that she's no adulteress, though she's married to another man. Who's the other man? It's Jesus. He's saying, what are we going to do now? This problem has come that we've got this boyfriend who's kind of shepherding us along. But now Jesus comes. What do we do? And, and somebody has to die for us to be able to leave that boyfriend or that husband and, and go to the new one. And he says, therefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you be, may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we could bear fruit to God. He says, the boyfriend didn't die. You died when you became a Christian. You died to your old life. And now you can be married to a new one. But he says you can't be married to both. You can't keep this childminder, the rules and the laws, and be married to Jesus at the same time. He's trying to force them to choose between one or the other. Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. What's he saying there? When I'm trying to obey the law, I'm doing it with my own strength, with my own ability, my fleshly strength, my own wisdom, my own five senses, my own willpower, and I'm trying to keep rules and laws. And he says, when you try and do that, actually, it arouses more sin, which is what I was saying about the flower and the spitting. It causes you to want to sin more. But then he says, but now that we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we, were, we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You can be under the dominion of sin, or you can be under the dominion of the law, which is the same thing. You're trying to obey rules instead of going out with all the bad boys, but you're still sinning. But then he says there's a third option, where we love, where we meet this husband, this real the real one, who meets our needs, who loves us, who accepts us, who we're completely at ease with. And he says, then you serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the law. And I'm going to explain the difference between those two. But let me just read Romans chapter 8 for you quickly. Because it describes what this new life is like when you meet this new husband, Jesus. And it's beautiful. First of all, in verse 1 of Romans 8, he says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The first point is I'm free from guilt. You see, when I'm trying to serve husband law or boyfriend, good boyfriend who's a childminder, there's always an element of guilt and condemnation. I'm never good enough. Do you, do you, can you relate to that? Perhaps your Christianity, you see, I have a suspicion that there's people in churches, even in a church like ours, where we talk about freedom and real relationship and, and the fullness of the Spirit and being passionate about Christ, it's possible that you're sitting in a chair in a church like that and somehow you're still serving old boyfriend law because you're under condemnation. 
Every single time you hear somebody say something, you feel guilty. You feel you don't measure up. You feel I have to be better. I have to do more to get God to love me. He says, no, no, if you're in there, you're still under old law, husband. The, the ones who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's acceptance. So that's the first thing. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation. Verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He says there's a power, there's a dynamo inside of you called the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And the power of that thing, the law of that thing, the rule of that thing inside of you is so strong. It's a positive energy that says, praise God. Be generous. Minister to people. Not out of a sense of guilt of I have to measure up to God's standards, but because I want to. I find in me a, a positive energy that says, yes, I want to witness to people. I want to serve and love others. I want to sacrifice my life for people. I want to praise God. I want to give. I want to witness. I want to do all these things. I want to pray. Why? There's a positivity in me. And he says that law is so strong that it overrides the law of sin and death that's in my flesh. Rather than trying to obey an external bunch of rules, there's something inside of me that is pushing me to serve God. It's an internal force. And then he says, The law could not do it because it was weakened through the flesh. God did it by sending his Son... And then in verse 4, he says that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What he's saying is that your old husband, Mr. Law, your childminder boyfriend, used to give you lists of rules every day. There was no intimacy. There was no love with that husband, with that boyfriend. You weren't close. But with Jesus, there's a closeness and a oneness and an intimacy that instead of those rules and lists of rules, I find that out of love for Christ, please hear me now, he says, because of that, I am fulfilling all the rules that the lists that the old boyfriend used to give me automatically. It's just happening. So you can imagine a wife who's sitting on the couch and she's remembering her first husband who died and he was a harsh man and he used to give her lists of rules. You must vacuum the vacuum the floor but he never gave her a vacuum cleaner you must buy the food but he never gave her the money to buy the food you must cook but he never gave her a stove to cook on he gave rules and he was always right and he was distant and austere but he never gave her any help to do to keep the rules that's what the law is like now she marries this new husband that old husband dies and she marries this new husband jesus and she loves him and there's passion and joy and excitement and she finds she's loving him automatically and one day she puts her hand down the back of the couch and she pulls out one of the lists that her first husband gave her. And she looks through all the things that he told her to do. And she says, I'm doing them all. And more. But not because he's giving me lists, because I love him. And then, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To be fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. He says your mind, your mind is where you decide. So there's sin, 
that wants to have dominion. There's law, that's a dead and impotent husband. And then there's Christ, who wants to give you passion. And your mind, you choose where you set your mind. On the things of the spirit, where Christ lives inside of you, or on the things of the flesh, where you try by your own strength to overcome sin. And he says, your mind is the key. If you can renew your mind, if you study God's word, if you get this word in your heart and you change your mind and you, you let the word change you, you say, God, I want my thoughts to become like your thoughts. I, I want to change the way I think. He says, your mind decides it. The mind set on the spirit where Christ is, this, this power, this passion, this dynamo inside of you, this, this life of Christ. If your mind is set on that and you see him, you understand he doesn't condemn you, his power is coming from within you, then there's life and peace. But if your mind gets set on the flesh, which is either I must sin or I must keep the law, both of those are fleshly per pursuits. He says, if your mind is set on sin or trying to obey rules, it's death. And your mind decides. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.